Let's look now and begin to dig into this Psalm, Psalm 17. I love that Wade is just preaching steadily week by week through the Psalms. And I just wanted to continue on in that. So let me just read this psalm. It's not a a real long psalm. Let me read it to you in its entirety. And then we will begin to look at what we can learn from this psalm right here. Psalm chapter 17. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the, way, the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who would do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy and love towards people like us, Father. We are so thankful. Thankful because we're needy people. Because we're in need of those things, Father. We're in need of forgiveness. We're in need of grace. And we're in need of love, Father. And Lord, I thank you that you showed it in the most perfect way by sending your Son on the cross, Lord, and we are thankful for your word tonight that we can look at it and learn from it, Lord, and I pray that your word would speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guard my mind and my words and all that is said in this place, and Father, this time is not ours, it's yours, and so we ask that you would do with it what you will, and we pray that in the wonderful, sweet name of Jesus, amen, amen. All right, so let's look, I love the summary that Brother Wade has for us of the Psalms that he often points us to from Dr. Easley. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. A great summary right there of the Psalms. Books, uh, the book that's full of these incredible songs, these uh, chapters of praise, chapters of prayer, given to the Lord for the individual and also corporately that are presented. And, you know, I mentioned this last time I had the opportunity to share, but there are many different types of psalms, many different categories and types of psalms in this book. 
in the Psalms. There are Psalms of praise. There are Psalms of thanksgiving that just declare the glories of God and how good he is and how great he is, like Psalm 8. There are also messianic Psalms where God allowed the psalmist to see and to prophesy the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. There are messianic psalms, and uh, there are psalms where you see these messianic verses pointing towards Jesus. There are also uh, psalms of judgment. Psalms of judgment. Anybody remember what we call those? Those were the imprecatory Psalms, imprecatory psalms where the psalmist David is just calling down, Father, I have enemies and I want you to judge them. There are those kinds of psalms. There's also psalms of confession. Psalm 51, psalms of uh, just confessing a sin before God, uh, as David did uh, after he sinned with Bathsheba. There's also psalms of mourning. Those are called laments, psalms of lament where there's, uh, the psalmist brings his, his mourning and his moaning before God. And that is some of what we see in this psalm that we're looking at tonight. But primarily, this psalm is a psalm of prayer. Just coming to the Father in prayer. And actually, if you'll notice there, at the very beginning of that psalm, it says, a prayer of David. And that's the first psalm that's mentioned as a prayer of David. And it's also one of the few that is specifically called a prayer of David. One of a handful out of all the psalms that's called a prayer of David. And so I think it is fitting and good for us to look at this psalm tonight as a pattern of prayer. And, and listen, psalms are such a great place for us to go to grow in our personal worship and in our personal prayer and conversation and interaction and relationship with our Father. We learn how to approach God. We learn how to appeal to our Father. We learn how to worship and better adore Him. We learn how to come to Him through His many names that Wade talked about that last week. And it talked about how we can call on His different names and thereby uh, call on His different attributes and who God is. And prayer is so vital in our lives, is it not? So vital in our personal lives and in our corporate life as a church body. Prayer is vital to who we are as followers of Christ as we interact with our Heavenly Father. And David was a man of prayer. I love this quote. This quote of uh, Spurgeon that we have right there about David and how he was a man of prayer. It says, David would not have been a man after God's own heart if he had not been a man of prayer. He was a master in the sacred art of supplication. He flies to prayer in need as a pilot hurries to the harbor in the stress of the storm. We are called to be people after God's heart, aren't we? And to be people of prayer. And so I think we would do well to look at this prayer of David and learn from it tonight. And one of the things that we see uh, right at the beginning of this psalm is that David makes an urgent and persistent appeal to God in prayer. David makes an urgent and persistent appeal to God in prayer. You see these urgent appeals to God as you see his prayer, as you hear his prayer. Look in verse 1. It says right there, 
Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free from deceit. He says, hear, attend, give ear. He's urgent in this prayer to the Father. And then he repeats it there in verse 6. If you look, skip down to verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear, hear my words. So over and over in this psalm, you see, hear, Father. Incline your ear to me. I'm calling out to you. I'm crying out to you. Hear me. See what's going on. And you see this urgent and persistent appeal to God in prayer. David David is desperate to be heard. He's desperate to be heard by the Father. I have two young boys at home. A little blonde-headed kid, about five, and a little red-headed kid, about seven. And there are times when they are desperate to be heard by their father. And when they're desperate to be heard... They're going to be heard, I guarantee you. I've got one of them who's a little more quiet about it. It's the, hey, dad, 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 dad. What? Did you know an octopus has three brains and two hearts or something like that? And, you know, he's just got something urgent that he's trying to tell me. And I've got another one who takes a different approach. It's more like, dad, dad, dad. And he just hollers from the other side of the house. But both of them are persistent in gaining their father's ear. And that's what we see right here is the one who is persistent in gaining the father's ear. Hear me. I'm crying out to you. Incline your ear to me, O Lord. And scripturally, I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus told in Luke. Flip over there with me to Luke 18 real quick. Just real quick. Let's look at this in Luke 18, this parable that Jesus told about being persistent and that we should always pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This persistence. And this is that lesser greater argument that Jesus gives, right? If this lesser judge, who is not even a good man, is willing, because of the persistent plea of this widow to hear her and, and, and hear her plea and give justice, how much more so our greater judge, the supreme ruler of all, if we come to him, will hear us. If the lesser father that I am, hear my child, hear my children, and give to them what they need, how much more our loving father in heaven when we come to him. So we ought always to pray. And there's testimony that I imagine we could have in this room of persistence in prayer, of parents praying for their kids, or grandparents for their grandkids, or wives for their husbands, or husbands for their wives. God's called us to be persistent 
in our prayer, to come continuously to the Father. And that's what we see David doing right here in this psalm, making an urgent and persistent appeal to God in prayer. But let's look now at the basis of how David comes to the Father, how he makes his appeal to the Father. David's appeal to God is on the basis of his innocence. His innocence. Look at verses 1 through 5. Let me read those again. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free from deceit. Free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You've tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress, that my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of man by the word of your lips. I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. David, right here, we're not, we don't know the exact circumstances of this psalm when it was written. We're not given the exact uh, circumstances, but there were times, right, when David was being pursued by Saul and his men, and David was on the run, hiding in uh, cliffs and in crags and in caves, and being constantly pursued and harried and harassed. David was innocent of all that uh, Saul was accusing him of. He wasn't trying to take over. And, uh, you know, Saul is trying to come and destroy David. And what David's saying is, I'm innocent of these charges that are being brought against me, innocent of these, uh, these ones that are hunting me and accusing me and surrounding me. Have you ever been falsely accused? Ever been falsely accused when you're innocent of something, some specific thing? I have. I, I grew up as an, a missionary kid, as a little missionary kid in Scotland. And when I was living there in Scotland, I grew up there. And most missionary kids can't fit in in the country where they go and serve. But I could fit in in Scotland. I had the pale skin. I had the red hair. And it didn't take me long to develop that Scottish accent either. And so I had a full-on Scottish accent and brogue. And when I went to school uh, one day, I was in middle school, and we were given an assignment to make a little passport and put in it countries we had been to and to bring that in to the teacher. And so I went home and I made my little American passport and places I'd been. I went and turned it in. And when the teacher uh, got him, she got on to me and said, this was a serious assignment. You weren't supposed to make up some passport. And I said, I- I'm an American, I promise. Uh, my mom and dad, they're both Americans, and I- I'm an American. And my friends were like, ah, he is. You should hear his mom and dad talk. He's an American. And I was falsely accused of being something that I wasn't. And here, you see David, he's making this appeal. I am not guilty of these things of which I am being charged. I haven't done it. I am not guilty of these charges that are being brought against me. But listen, it's more than that, I believe. David is also making his appeal to God on the basis that he is someone right here in his life that he is seeking to follow God. He's seeking to follow God with his words, with his ways, in the midnight hour, in uh, times when he's alone, his, with his words and with his works and with his lips and with his paths and with his feet. He is seeking to follow God. And listen, when we come to God in prayer, we would do well to examine our hearts, wouldn't we? 
to examine our ways because sin, when it works its way into our lives, can be such a barrier to our interaction with a holy, holy God. Listen to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. May it not be so with us, right? So I think we would do well to be effective in our prayers and in our relationship with the Father, to examine different areas of our lives and ask ourselves some different questions. And I have a couple of those that I jotted down here in these notes. The first one is, are we being disobedient? Are we being disobedient? Is there a sin in our life that we are clinging to? Is there some area of sin in our life that needs to be examined? And if so, what do we do with that? What do we do with it? We go straight to verses like 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what we need to do. But we need to examine our hearts. Are we being disobedient in our life? When we come to the Father, we need to look and see if there is anything like that in our lives. Sins that we are committing. Also, we need to look and ask the question, are we committing sins of omission? You know, there are sins of commission. There's also sins of omission. Are there things that God is calling us to do that we know He is calling us to do and to be obedient in, and we are disobeying His calling in our life? We are disobeying what He has for us in our life. Things that can create a barrier between us and our Father as we communicate with Him. Also, is there a wrong that we should first make right? Is there a wrong that we should first make right? We see that in Matthew 5 with the the one going to the altar, presenting their gift. And if there's anything that a brother might have against them, to go and to make that right. To go and to make that right. Is there a relationship that's broken, that's fractured, that needs healing, that you need to examine? And make right in your life. Are our priorities in order? Are our priorities in order? David was seeking the Lord. He was seeking for his paths to follow the paths of the Father. For his words to follow the way that the Father would have him speak. His ways to be in line with the Father's. Are our priorities right as we walk with God, are our priorities right? Are we being selfish in our prayers? Obviously, David here is praying for himself, and it is right and good that we should pray for ourselves in the situations we're in. We should also be praying for others. I love something Wade said a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was. How many people would have come to faith this week if God had answered every one of your prayers for the last week? Or for the last month? How many people are you praying for specifically? If God were to answer those prayers, how many people would have been brought into the kingdom? Because you're lifting them up by name to the Father. Are your priorities right in your prayer life? And I think these are some good things for us to examine. And when we do this, when we examine our hearts, when we confess sin, when we follow Him obedient, full of His Spirit, what we can experience is described beautifully in 1 John 3, 21 through 24. I didn't have that in your notes, but that's a great 
uh, passage to mark down. 1 John three twenty one through 24 says this, Beloved, if our hearts... If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Now listen, as we talk about these things and confessing sin and coming before the Father and, and uh, in an innocent way, listen, we should always seek to honor the grace that we've received, but there is not a thing you can do to earn it. There is not a thing you can do to earn the grace you've received. And ultimately, we have but one defense, and we have only one claim to righteousness, right? And that's at the cross, through the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. So while we seek to be obedient and live uh, according to God's word and according to his way through the power of the Holy Spirit, we remember that our righteousness does not come in any way, shape, or form from something that we can do to earn it. We want to live lives that honor it, but it only comes through the righteousness we, th- we receive through the blood of Jesus Christ that we find at the cross. So David here appeals to God on the basis of his innocence. But he also appeals to God on the basis of God's covenant-keeping love. God's covenant-keeping love. Look at verses 6 through 8. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Verse 7. Wondrously show your steadfast love. You see that word steadfast love a lot in the Old Testament. And it is a beautiful word. And I am no Hebrew scholar, but this word hesed, is a wonderful word. And when you see that loving kindness, that, that kind of love talked about uh, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, the word that is used there is the word hesed. And Boyce gives a great definition of it right here. It is not just general benevolence, the kind God shows to the just and the unjust alike. This is the love by which he enters into a favorable relationship with his people promising to be their God and the God of their children forever. It's a steadfast love. A steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated God's loving kindness. Sometimes it's translated as mercy, but the word there is hesed. And it is a beautiful, rich word. And that kind of love is also, it's a loyal love. It's the kind that you see pictured in the book of Ruth. That's the kind of loyal love that's pictured this Hesed type love. And God speaks, God himself, in describing his own character, uses this word about himself in the book of Exodus. Flip over to Exodus real quick. This is, a, this is one of those that ought to be underlined. This is an important passage in the Old Testament. God himself describing his own character to Moses. In Exodus 34, verses 6 through 
8. This is, again, when Moses is, for the second time, having the tablets that he's taken up, and God himself is going to write his commandments on those tablets. And God goes, uh, Moses goes up Sinai there and listen to what God says about himself. Uh, I'm going to jump back to verse 4. So Moses cut, the, cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Moses heard God say his own name right there in that cloud to him. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed, in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping hesed, steadfast love, for thousands or to, the, or to the thousandth generation, your footnote might say, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. That is the hesed love that God is using to describe himself. It's a covenantal love. It's not a love that comes and goes. It's a binding love. And that's the love that David appeals to God that he wants to wondrously be shown, that he wants to wondrously experience. He says, Lord, I need to see that chesed love, that covenant love that you have for me. I want to experience it right now. Have you ever been in a place when you need to call on that kind of love from the Father? It's available. Because we're in a covenant with the Lord, a new covenant. And we can call on that same kind of covenant love from our Heavenly Father because of our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And that's the love that David is asking to be wondrously shown. And it's a confident love, isn't it? Look at verse 6. You will answer me. He's confident. It's a confidence in that kind of loving God. And the way we enter to enter into and experience this same kind of hesed love is through the cross. It's the same covenant-keeping love that has reached out to us and saved us through the wonder-working death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful word. Be on the lookout for that kind of uh, wondrous love in the Old Testament because it it's a beautiful, beautiful word. And David gives two pictures here to kind of describe it, to what it is like to be a part of God's family, to be his child experiencing that kind of love. Two beautiful pictures right there in, where am I, verse 8, where he says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. The apple of his eye. You're the apple of his eye. He's ever watchful over his people. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't stumble. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't say, I need a break from you. You're the apple of his eye as his covenant child. It's a good place to be, and he covers you with his wing. When we call on him, he can cover you with that strong right arm. He covers us. Beautiful pictures 
of a heavenly father. When fears are many and foes surround you, what kind of love must we appeal to? And it's this kind right here, that covenant-keeping love of the father that you can go to and you can call upon that is from the beginning to the end expressed in God's wonderful word to us. We need to be sheltered by him. David needed that sheltering kind of love. He was surrounded. And that's what we're going to see right Next, God, uh, David appeals in prayer to God based on his innocence, on the basis of his innocence, and also on the basis of God's covenant-keeping love. But then, just because he is surrounded by enemies, you see the enemies that he faced. The enemies that he faced. Look in verses 9 through 12. We see the enemies that he faced. They're wicked And they seek to do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. David has enemies and they are threatening him. They are threatening threatening with physical violence to destroy and to kill him. With their words, they're surrounding him. Can just Again, we don't know exactly where this was in the life of David, but you could see him just being pursued, pursued by Saul, seeking there, like it says, to lay ambush to him, to destroy him, to tear him up, and his men pursuing and closing in on him. And David is feeling the squeeze as his enemies surround him and seek to destroy him. But I see in this that he has two kinds of enemies. The first is the seen enemy. The seen enemy. The seen, like you can see them. They are seen. They're not imaginary. They're real. These were real people coming after David, seeking to destroy him and take him down. They threatened deadly violence. They spoke against him. And listen, there are real enemies today of followers of Jesus Christ. They are real. And we've got them in this country, and there are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who are facing them in other countries all around this world. Deadly violence surrounding them, squeezing them, threatening, destroying, speaking against them. There There are real people seeking to do real harm to Christian brothers and sisters all around this world. There is a seen enemy that is faced. And David here is experiencing that But listen, there's also an unseen enemy, right? There's an unseen enemy. Who is it? It's Satan. And you see here, uh, do you see that incredible, uh, it's interesting how David here in this psalm, how he transitions from they, 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 to he. He is like a lion, eager to tear, a young lion lurking in ambush. Does that remind you of another passage? Maybe in the New Testament? Of the enemy described as a lion. Uh, in First Peter 5.8, what does it say? It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Like a lion seeking someone to devour. We have an unseen enemy, folks. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us, tear us apart, pick off the weak, the wounded, wants to destroy us. But 
we got to remember Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 2. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. I think sometimes we forget this and we focus only on the flesh and blood battle and we fail to turn to the Lord in prayer and battle in that realm that Ephesians 6 is calling us to battle in, in prayer. Sometimes we forget and focus on the flesh and blood and fail to wage war in the unseen realm through prayer. And that is what God is calling to do. Listen, folks, our ultimate enemy does not wear flesh and blood. The enemy Satan. And he is going to be destroyed. But we are called to battle in those realms through prayer. Through prayer and not just... And we've got to remind ourselves sometimes of who the real enemy is, don't we? We can get focused on the flesh and blood, but we need to remember who our real and ultimate enemy is. And then lastly... David makes his appeal to God on the basis of his eternal hope. His eternal hope. Before we look, though, at David's future hope, his future hope or his eternal hope, let's look and see how it stands in stark contrast with the temporary and temporal satisfaction that others seek. Look there in verses 13 through 15. Look in verses 13 through 15 of Psalm chapter 7. It says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. Men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure and they are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. Folks, there's a lot of people who seek satisfaction purely in this life, aren't there? Their ultimate end goals, their priorities, their purposes, their plans, their vision, their goals in life are all things that remain here on this planet and going to get burned up, rotted out, left behind, rusted through. There's a lot of folks that are seeking their satisfaction in those things. And that's what David is showing right here of his enemies. These are people who seek satisfaction in this life only. And we've got to so guard against that in our hearts and in our lives. I have a, a friend who was my best friend in high school. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. Went separate ways in college. And he went to a very good school and got a real good job and interning with a big Wall Street type company and began just pursuing the things of this world as fast and hard as he could. And the last time that we spoke, it broke my heart. He, um, he said to me that his goal in life, and this is just pitiful, his goal in life was to have his obituary in the uh, Forbes magazine. And I just, and he was on the path, he, he's on the path to do it. But I thought, what a pitiful pursuit, right? It broke my heart to see my friend whose ultimate goal in life is to have his obituary in a financial magazine. How awful, how awful. What does it gain a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What does it gain a man? Not a thing. 
And what we see here is people who have a temporary and temporal hope in the things of this world and a rampant pursuit of it. We're not that people. We are not that people, church. We are a people who have a higher calling and a better hope, a future and eternal hope. And you see it so beautifully. You see it so beautifully there at the last verse of this chapter. As for me, as for me, and I hope it's as for you. I hope it's as for every one of us in this room. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Where is your satisfaction? Is it right there, camped out in that verse? I pray it is. I pray it is. David, right here, the prophet David, is given a wonderful glimpse somehow by God into the things that will be. And he says, I know that when my eyes close in this life, when they open, they, I'm going to be with you. I am going to uh, behold your faces in righteousness. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Folks, it's so easy to get distracted and drawn into the things of this world. And this world is not our home. It's not. This world is not your home. And if you have any sense of dissatisfaction, and there's just times when you just kind of get uncomfortable as a look at the world around you, that's okay. You're a foreigner here. You're a foreigner here. This is not your home. You're looking, I pray, for a better home, a heavenly country that's talked about in Hebrews. That is where our citizenship lies if we're in Christ. That is where our ultimate citizenship lies if we're in Christ. Our banner is a cross, right? Our banner is a cross. And our king is Jesus. And he reigns eternal. And the treasure and the hope that he's offered is not fleeting. It lasts. And it's worth pursuing. And it's worth prioritizing. And it's worth sacrificing for. And that's what God has called us to do as individuals and as a church body. That's what David is seeing right here. Though they pursue me, though they surround me, I have a basis for hope that goes beyond this life. And listen, if you are not in that position tonight, you don't have to leave here in that state. You can have a new king who loves you with a hesed kind of covenant-keeping love that's eternal and not be under the paw of a terrible lion who wants to destroy and kill you and tear you apart. He loves you. And don't leave this place tonight without having Jesus as your king if you don't know him. So I pray that as we looked at this uh, wonderful psalm tonight of a man who was pursued and harassed, yet he was able to come to his father in innocence. And we can come to our Father in righteousness because of Jesus Christ. He came uh, claiming God's covenant-keeping love, surrounded by enemies, but his future hope was certain.